0: Well, I'm excited to tell you today, if you haven't heard already, that uh, we're going to be doing something that I think uh, can make all of the difference in a number of different ways as we read through the story. Uh, together in two thousand and thirteen um, i 'm going to challenge you uh, to work through the Bible with us uh, this year, starting in February, and as a tool uh, to help us in that, I, I want to encourage you to get and check out a copy uh, of the story. Now, the story is a thirty one week um, uh, compilation of scripture of NIV scripture, but put together in such a way that it really uh, reads like a narrative and, and there are going to be several ways for you to participate with us in this. The first is, well, to do like you're doing right now, and that's just to come on Sunday mornings. And uh, starting in February, we're going to take 31 weeks. We're going to break it up into some different segments. We're going to work through the Bible from uh, Genesis all the way through Revelation, starting with creation. And uh, that's just going to be one of the great ways that uh, you can follow along with us in this. But I want to challenge you, and a big part of this is to take one additional step, at least one, and that is to get a copy of the story and to read through it yourself and uh, we've got these available this morning uh, just outside of these uh, doors to the left. We sold a bunch of them uh, in our first service, but I, I want to challenge you to pick up a copy of the story and, and to read it with us. Uh, we're making it available for five bucks, and uh, we, we got a real crazy deal on it, and so for a five dollar donation, uh, you can walk away with one of these today, uh, but I'm also reminded that not everyone is like an old-fashioned book sort of a reader anymore, because maybe you're an e-reader person. Uh, you can go online, and you can download a copy of the story if that's the way that you like to read and I also want to remind people too that every week throughout the course of the story we'll put the appropriate scripture passages in the program so that you know what to read uh, in the upcoming week and and so you can participate by coming to worship Uh, you can participate and hopefully we'll participate by reading it for yourself Uh, but the last thing that I want to challenge you with is I hope you'll get in a group and we're going to talk about this more starting next week, but uh, I hope that you'll take advantage and jump in, if you're not already, in one of our many connection groups that are going to go through the story with us, because this is a great opportunity to meet others, uh, to talk about life, but also talk about what you're reading and, and what you're learning together. Because um, if you've ever wondered... Uh, in any ways, what God is up to and how you fit into the work that he's doing in this world. um, I think the story uh, can be very beneficial in that. And so uh, we're going to kick off in February. Uh, on Sunday, February the 3rd, I'll, I'll kind of do an introduction to it all as a part of this service, and then I'll tell you, okay, read chapter 1 this week, and, and it'll be your opportunity to engage with us, and then beginning Sunday, February the 10th, we'll start with creation. And again, I think this is just going to be a big win uh, for our church, and hopefully for you uh, in so many different ways. Speaking of the Bible, if you've got one, uh, would you turn right now in it to First Timothy uh, chapter 6. Uh, as we begin there today, uh, go to the, well, about the middle, and then maybe to the right a little bit more. Uh, in the New Testament, First Timothy chapter 6, as you're turning there, I want to ask you, how, how many of you have ever been to the City Museum in St. Louis before? Uh, anybody been there? We had some people in the first service who got it's incredible. I mean, it, for a kid, I mean, it, it's like a kid's paradise, this museum, but in so many different ways. I mean, it really is a pretty awesome place uh, for adults, too. And what they've done is uh, they've taken the junk, uh, some of the junk from the city, and they've put it in this renovated warehouse. And so there are all these tunnels and slides and ladders, uh, indoor and outdoors that you can play on. And we took our kids there uh, in October for fall break. And it It easily launched my wife and I to the top of the charts in the mom and dad of the year category. I mean, we're we're really running well uh, there right now. But again, while it's a lot of fun for kids, uh, it's a fun place for adults too. And um, you're encouraged to do everything that your kids do at the museum. But I've got to tell you that as I discovered, um, there's some challenges that come with that. And and again, as I mentioned, there are ladders and, and slides and all of these things to climb on. But once you get inside of the museum, there are places where there are holes in the floor that you can climb down into. And there are these tunnels that run all the way through the museum and in the floor and and on some of the other floors and whatever. And so I I went down into this hole with my kids, my three kids, and they were out in front of me. And it didn't take long before I got into this tunnel and realized it is getting narrower and and narrower. I, I mean, I was laying on my stomach with my arms out in front of me and I, just got to this place where they're like three and four year olds pushing me from behind. And it's just like, you know, eat. I mean, I know they're like, come on, old man. But it's like, I'm not real claustrophobic, but I felt my heart rate coming up and I was sweating. And so I finally like to my kids, it was like, hey, you guys have fun. Good luck. I'll find you somewhere else. And I made all of these kids back up so that I could get out of this tunnel. Again, just this feeling of, you know, this feeling trapped was was a little overwhelming in this particular moment. And, 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 you know, I got to thinking that money can kind of have that effect on us, can it? Um, Have have you ever felt that way when it comes to your finances and just some of the pressures that come with money and, and trying to keep up and, you know, we'll look at it like this. How many of you have, let's say in the last few weeks, you've seen something you want to buy, but you look at the price tag and you're just like, I can't afford that. I mean, you just, you kind of have that pressure on you or, or since the beginning of the year, how many of you have received a bill that maybe was a little unexpected or the price on it was greater than what you expected and now you're faced with like trying to figure out how you're gonna pay for it? Money has a way of doing that to us. It has a way of getting a hold of us and trapping us. And if, and if money has a way of getting a hold of us, well, then this series that we're in that we're starting today called The Ladder is all about escaping that hold and being able to reach places and possibilities that I believe that God has for you and me that we could never, ever possibly get to all on our own. Now, the important thing about ladders, and we've got a couple of them up here, and and I know this is pretty much common sense when it comes to ladders, but one of the safety tips that you'll read on a ladder is take one step at a time, and that's really what we're going to do over the course of the next few weeks is we're going to talk about different steps that we can take up a ladder like this into a life of generosity because I know and realize that we're all coming at this from different places. But what we're going to do is over the next few weeks is we're going to focus on how God has different steps in mind for us so that, again, we can, we can make that progress, you know, to a life where we're able to say, you know what, I'm honoring God with the financial realm of my life too. Now, I do like to say up front that I know that anytime we ever talk about money or finances, I know it gets a little scary and people get a little nervous. And, and especially if you're here today and like you brought a friend, like you finally brought a friend, like you finally, your friend said yes, and you're like, of all the weeks to talk about money, like why Why do we have to do it today? I, I just want to kind of set you at ease a little bit, because if you're that friend, you're off the hook. Like, I mean, th- this doesn't have to be for you. I mean, you get the privilege of the next few weeks of just kind of listening in and, and sort of checking everything out. But I know at the same time that for others of you, uh, whenever we talk about something like money, you get a little angry, maybe a little defensive, uh, because when you think about money and finances, especially if you've been a part of a church for a long time I know that you might be of the opinion that what I do with my money is my business and and who are you really to say You know how how I spend it or use it um, because you hate the money talks Or maybe you choose to ignore this topic altogether and pretend like well if I don't listen Maybe it'll just go away or something. I I just want to say right up front. You can do whatever you want and you can choose whatever plan, you can choose to live your life however you would like to live your life, but I do want to say right up front that I believe that it is impossible to call Jesus the Lord of your life and ignore this issue of generosity forever. Like at some point, I mean, you've got to face it head on and really ask, I mean, what, what like, what's God saying to me and what does this mean for my life? And Because if you think that a series like this is all about just how the church can get more and more of my money, I want you to know that you're wrong because the church doesn't need your money. And I want you to know that I'm grateful that Genesis Church has this history of sacrificial giving and generosity and just some incredibly generous people who give faithfully over and over again. And that's many of you that are here today. And I'm just so thankful and so blessed that you're giving more than enough money to pay the bills and to fund ministries. And as a church right now, we're giving more money away than we have ever given away in our history. Now, Are there opportunities and possibilities for us as a church? I mean, you bet all around us. And if we had more resources, you know, or more people on board in giving, I mean, could we reach more people and launch more campuses and plant more churches? You bet we could do that. And we'll talk about a little of that along the way. But I also know this. I know and I believe that there are some of you here today and you'd love to give. And you'd love to say that I'm honoring God with my finances and and I'm doing it God's way, and it's not a matter of disagreeing or selfishness. You just don't know how. Well, can we just acknowledge that when it comes to this area of giving and generosity and honoring God with our finances, when you think about it, we're all at different places on the ladder. And so my goal with you as we go through this series together is to challenge each and every person in this church. If you call Genesis your church, no matter where you are on this ladder right now, no matter where you are in this area of generosity and giving, I want to remind you that there's always a step in front of you because generosity has no finish line. I mean, we never completely arrive in this area. There's always another step to take. And there really, when you think about it, is always another step closer and closer to the heart of God and the life that God has set out for each of us. And one more thing too. I know that I said that it's not about you know, this church getting something from you. Well, this isn't about God getting something from you either. Because I do believe with all of my heart that God wants something for you. He has something in mind for you. And God doesn't want you to live your life trapped and consumed by the power of money. He wants you to be free. And He wants every bit of your attention and your focus to rest completely on Him. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about the first step on the ladder or the first rung of the ladder, if you would. And if you're in your Bibles, if you're at first Timothy uh, chapter six, we see that this first step comes right out of here, beginning in verse 17, uh, towards the end of this letter. Here's what Paul writes. He says, command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain. Now, let's just stop right there for a second, because I know that for some of you, if you read a verse like that and you hear a word like rich, you might think to yourself, well, hey, this verse is clearly not for me because I'm certainly not rich. All right. I I hear you. I I could relate in that area. I understand. But before you start thinking you're not rich, um, let me just kind of give you some perspective. All right. Because did you know that today about half of the world's population lives on $2.50 per day or less? Or when you keep in mind that about one-third of our world's population right now is food insecure, which means they consistently don't know where the next meal is going to come from. Or did you know today that only 5% of the world's population makes $25,000 per year or 8% of the world's population today owns a car and only 1 in 100 people in the world own a computer and there's a really good chance you've got one in your pocket right now. Now, I don't want to downplay your situation because I know that some of you right now might find yourself in in a real crisis and in a very difficult situation financially. But I'm just saying for perspective's sake, if you own a car... If you make $25,000 a year, or if you have a computer in your pocket, you have more than 95% of the people right now on this planet. You're in the top 5% of income earners worldwide. Guess what? You're rich. Now, we know this isn't Warren Buffett sort of a rich or Donald Trump kind of rich, but rich. And so this verse is for every single one of us. Again, verse 17, starting at the beginning, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment." Now, just to kind of give you a little context of what's going on here, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. Timothy was an apprentice to Paul, and Timothy was living and working in this church in Ephesus when this letter was written. Now, this church was made up of slaves and widows, many who were considered poor, but it was also made up of some well-to-do families and people. And so they're the rich in this passage. And up to this point, Paul had spent most of his letters so far, at least this chapter, talking about the dangers of greed and the dangers of wealth, and how whatever you have in this world, you're not taking it with you uh, wherever you go next. And now we see his concern here uh, in verses uh, 17 shifting to wealthier believers, and, and so he's making it pretty clear. And you got to know, he's saying, you know, that you shouldn't be ashamed of your financial position. All right, especially if God's given you a bunch. But notice how he is calling out what money does. He says, hey, there's a danger in money and wealth. And when we've got it, and when we've got a decent amount of stuff, you're going to tend to put your hope in money. I mean, that's where your heart is going to naturally go. And when you think about it, even today, I think there are so many ways that we tend to misplace our hope in money. And I mean, I can think of a few. I mean, we, we hope money can bring security, right? I mean, we do that all the time, and we live that way. I mean, think about how many times you look to money for security. I mean, how often do you think about how much you have, or, you know, when you go to buy something, hoping that there's enough in the account to cover the expense, or you worry about how much you have in the bank, or how much you have in your retirement fund, or how much you've put away for your kid's college. I mean, all the time we're asking, is it enough, or will it be enough? Now, I was thinking about just recently, you know, with it being the start of a new year, the end of the year, we recently got our updates on our uh, kids... 529 college plans, and, and it was kind of cool to see how they've grown a little, like, you know, with rising college costs, like, we might actually have enough to buy some books for a couple of classes in 15 years, you know, I mean, with, with the way that it's going, but I, I know that even though these funds have grown, I, I know that my wife and I were thinking the very same thing, just kind of like, is it enough, will it be enough, how will we ever pay for college, and I just think it's kind of funny when you think about it, that it's like there's this magical enough out there, You know, and if we could just obtain it, if we could reach that enough, well, then I guess maybe everything would be okay. But that's crazy. I mean, because even if you know just a little bit about stocks and investments or nothing at all, I mean, if you watch the news, you at least know terms like debt crisis in Europe or I mean, we're all familiar by now with fiscal cliff and debt ceiling, and you know that if someone sneezes in some part of the world that the gas prices are going to go up, you know, all of a sudden, and one day you watch the news and the housing market's doing well, and then it changes again the next day. I mean, if, if you are putting all of your hope and security into money, well, you know, that's not a real secure place to be right now. Another way we misplace our hope in money is that we hope that money can bring satisfaction now, this maybe has a little bit more to do with spending than saving, but so often our hope is rooted in money. It's rooted in the fact that if we had enough or if we had a little bit more, you know, we'd feel better about our lives. I mean, if we had some more, then it'd be more fulfilling or we'd be satisfied. But again, the question comes down to, well, what is finally enough? And um, there, were, there were a group of people that actually set out to answer that question. They did a study and they researched this and they asked a the number of people, hey, how much is enough? You know, they surveyed and asked how much money would finally be enough or what would it take to satisfy you? And they came up with an answer. And the answer was 15 to 30 percent more. I mean, the answer was 15 to 30 percent more than what you make now. And it doesn't matter whether you make $20,000 a year or $200,000 a year. Most people said if I made 15 to 30 percent more than what I do right now, then I'd be happy or then I'd be satisfied. I mean we're always looking for a little bit more money to lead to greater satisfaction but that's hope misplaced. And another way we misplace our hope in money is that we hope money can bring significance. I mean we do this all the time. I mean we we all need money. I mean you need money to pay your bills. I mean, you need money to to go on vacation with your family or to buy a car, I mean, to buy a home. I mean, money's not evil, all right? In and of itself, there is nothing wrong with money. But when you look to money for significance, when you start looking to a particular home or a particular neighborhood or a car or you make a particular financial goal, your sole purpose in life, that's hope misplaced. And that's the danger that Paul's talking about here. And maybe just to stop there for a second, I mean, just think about which is it for you? I mean, is it the security part? Is it the satisfaction part? The significance part? I'll be real honest with you. For me, for many years, it's always been kind of the security issue. Again, is it enough? Will it be enough? How would we ever afford to retire? But there's some satisfaction in there for me, too, of wanting certain things ultimately for greater satisfaction. Whenever you put your hope in money, I mean, it's always a dangerous situation. Take the story of William Bud Post. Uh, in 1988, with $2.46 to his name, he pawned an old ring that he had laying around, got $40 for it, and used that last $40 to buy 40 tickets in the Pennsylvania lottery. He won. And his prize after taxes was $495,000 a year for 26 years. I could do that, right? I mean, could you do that? We could all do that. Um, But that's where his problems began. Uh, Within two weeks of his first payment, he had spent over $300,000. He bought a liquor license and a restaurant for his brother and sister, a used car lot for another brother, and a private plane for himself, even though he didn't have a pilot's license. And within three months, he was already $500,000 in debt. His former girlfriend sued him for a portion of the winnings, and as a result, his winnings were temporarily frozen uh, pending that dispute. His brother hired a hitman to try and kill him, which I'm sure really messed up the next Christmas. It was just a really difficult table there. But after a couple of years of collecting his winnings, he decided to sell off his remaining payments for one final lump sum of $2.65 million, and his goal was to pay off his debts once and for all. But instead, he bought a couple of homes, a truck, three cars, two motorcycles, a luxury camper, and a $260,000 sailboat. I think you can probably see where this is going, but the end of the story is this. He ended up in a rundown mansion with plywood covering the windows, a swimming pool of debris, an old car on concrete blocks in the drive, and a security system that beeped every 10 seconds. And when Bud Post was asked to reflect on if money really delivered security, he said, Everybody dreams of winning a lot of money, but nobody realizes the nightmares that come out of the woodwork or the problems. And as to whether or not money can buy satisfaction, Bud said, I was happier when I was broke. The truth is that money doesn't bring security. And more times than not, it leads to greater insecurity And it doesn't deliver on satisfaction. It always leaves us wanting more. And money doesn't make us more significant or more important. But it really makes getting more money what often becomes most important in our lives. I mean, we tend to put our hope in money for security, satisfaction, and significance. And when we do that, what happens is that money becomes our master. And if you remember what Jesus said in the Bible, he said, you can't have two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And and, and is this a problem for Americans today? Well, I don't know. You tell me. Did you know that the average American household has over $15,000 in credit card debt today? $34,000 in student loan debts. Or that the average American household has only $3,800 in non-retirement savings right now. Of our population, only 18% of Americans would say they are very confident that they'll ever have enough money to retire And right now, about 1.5 million households declare bankruptcy each year. And the thing is that it's not just the statistics either. I mean, consider the ways that money affects every aspect of our lives. I mean, married couples fight about money more than they fight about any other subject. In fact, one report said that money is the number one cause for divorce right now for couples in their 20s and 30s. Or have you ever thought about this? Have you ever considered how money will tend to make us jealous and judgmental towards people who have more than we do? And most of the time, we'll do that, and we don't even know who they are, but we'll make judgments of them. And many people live in a consistent state of anxiety and worry worry about needing more money or about wanting more money or not having enough. Hey, here's what I'm getting at. If you don't take away anything else from this message for this series, I hope you'll at least hear this. There is a God who loves you and cares about you. And he doesn't want you to live your life trapped and consumed by the fear or desire for money. God wants to free you of that. He doesn't want you serving any other gods or serving any other masters. He's very selfish when it comes to these sort of things. And he wants to relieve you of that pressure and that stress that you and I that we often feel when we misplace our hope in something like money. And that is why I believe that God wants to say to you and me today, don't put your hope in money. let's be people instead who say you know we put our hope in God and that we back that up and all of our hope is going to be in him and here's what I think and you could call me overly optimistic if you want to but I'm willing to believe that everyone here would love to say that that we want that that we really do desire that that you don't want to have to worry about money and you want to trust God and you want to honor him with every aspect of your life including your finances But the truth is, the reality is that you can't just snap your fingers and hope that happens. You've got to be willing to take those steps. You've got to be willing to back that sort of talk up. And so how do you do that? I mean, how do you really begin that process of doing it God's way, of putting your hope in Him and honoring Him with your finances? And what does it look like to do that? And so go back, if you would, for a second to 1 Timothy 6. Uh, And let's look at these next couple of verses here. Um, Remember, Paul's already warned them about the dangers of putting your hope in something like money. And then in verse 18, he continues. and He says, hey, here's what it looks like. Here's the plan. Here's the way up the ladder. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, there's a key word in here that tells us, really, where the ladder is going. And that key word has everything to do with a life of generosity. I mean, that's where the ladder is going. I mean, for the sake of the illustration, I mean, climbing the ladder is stepping off of the ground. It's stepping out of a life of anxiety and of worry and of stress and things like materialism. And it's moving in God's direction. It's going according to His plan and His way. It's a life of generosity. And here's what God's word says about living like that. Verse 19 says, in this way, God's way for us. They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for this coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, Jesus talked about treasure in his Sermon on the Mount. You might remember some of those words when he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then he says, Hey, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Because Jesus knows, he knew that oftentimes if you want to know where people's heart is, just follow their money. I mean, follow the money trail. And that oftentimes is where we can find our hearts. Now, what this verse is saying is that God has a way for us. Again, he has a plan for our lives. Uh, He has a plan for how we should use our money and how we should invest our resources. And so God says, lay up treasures in heaven. And he's talking about more than money here, but it has everything to do with giving and tithing to a place like your local church. And so Paul echoes these words. And see where he says, laying up treasure for the coming age. Well, that coming age is a reminder that our God is at work right now, uh, working to restore the world and to get it back to the way that he always planned for it to be. And and there is a coming age. I mean, there is a coming age when his work will be complete on this earth. But in this age right now, here and now, we have the opportunity to join God, to invest in the amazing work that he's doing, this amazing redemptive work on this planet. And, And we do that. One of the ways that we do that is through our generosity. And so that means that we, when we bring help as a church or we bring hope you know, to people right here in Hamilton County or in Indiana or into other places of the world, we're joining God in the redemptive work that he's doing and the work that we're invited, that we're called to do when we say helping people find a way back to God. And all of that work and all of that giving is ushering in the coming age. And when we surrender our lives and our resources to be a part of a work like that, the result is, as Paul wrote here, that we're taking hold of a life that is truly life. We're taking hold of the life, the only life that can deliver in this world. And it's a life of security and it is a life that is satisfying and it's significant. And because God is the source of all life, all those who live this way experience a real sort of a living. And that's what God wants for you. And that's what he wants for me a life of freedom, a life of hope in Him and trust in Him as we live our lives generously. And that life is truly life. But to have that life, you have to make the choice to do it God's way. I mean, that's a decision that you have to make for yourself and we have to put our hope in Him and not in money. And so what I want to do before we close here is this. Um, For those of you that are interested in choosing this sort of a way and taking a hold of a life that is truly life, I want to help you understand where you can start. Because remember, a ladder is a tool to help you get somewhere where you can't get on your own. And so the first step of this ladder today, and for many people, this first step of the ladder really is about what we'll call becoming an initial giver. And if you're taking notes, you can write that down. It's just what we call, it's about becoming an initial giver. And so if you're interested in taking a hold of this life that is truly life, I believe it has everything to do if you're not already becoming an initial giver. Now, I know that for some of you, what I share may sound so obvious. It's something that you've been doing for so long. Maybe you're so beyond this place and that's great and everything. But but don't worry. Uh, Over the next couple of weeks, I think you'll find that I believe that God has some very specific challenges for each of us. But for everyone else, I just want to say it up front. Let's call it like it is and say this first step on the ladder, if you're not currently doing it or giving anything away, is this one. It's a tough step it might be one of the hardest steps that you'll take because it's it's life change, it's discipline. You know, if if you share it with a friend, they'll call you crazy, you know, that, that you would be willing to do something like this. But but it's not about having a lot of money. It's not about giving a certain amount of money, but it's about taking the first step and saying with your heart and life, I wanna do this God's way. I wanna follow his plan for my life. And so if you're standing on the ground today, and maybe you give periodically, maybe you really haven't given at all to a place like Genesis Church, I want to just give you three practical things that you can think about as you go today that can help you get started up this ladder as what we'll call an initial giver. And the first thing is this. I want to challenge you to think about giving first. Giving first. I mean, this is where you start, and this is what it looks like. It means that for every paycheck you get, you take a portion first, And you give that away to God. You give that to a place like Genesis Church or wherever you call your church. It's the practice of giving to God first. Proverbs 3, 9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, in an agricultural society like the Old Testament, first fruits were super valuable. All right. The first fruits were a part of the first harvest. You had them. You were looking at them, you were enjoying them and eating them, and God said, "Hey, in your giving, I want you to give from that first harvest, from the first fruits, from what you know you already have." And the challenge in that was, well, you know there're going to be additional harvests. I mean it 's kind of like your tomatoes. I mean, you get that first round of tomatoes, and they 're great and all, and you know that if the insects stay away and if we get some rain and if it 's not too hot, then it don't know that for sure.." And So I challenge Testament listeners in their care family. And potentially, I mean, you see how quickly it's a real matter of, ch- in your in the temporary face because we want to take care of our fur, right? I mean, you pay the rent, pay Verizon, AT&T, and Direc-E. You've got things, cars, and you've got little less some. That's how Jenny and I start. Kyle, we're both off. So pay our bills and all that really generous. Looking and for us, we're going to do it. was our land. As the Bible says that you should give to God right off of the top and then live off of the rest. Live with what's remaining because giving first is, God, I trust you. God, God, I'm joining you in the work that you're doing to make things right in this world. And in the process of giving and of trusting, I'm really believing. I've got the faith that you're going to take care of every single one of my needs along the way. Now, I want you to know that if you're considering, if you'll pray about taking this first step up onto the ladder, I want you to know that I'm not as concerned about the amount that you give as much as I think it would be incredible and awesome to see, you know, the people of this church together take the first step up the ladder and just get started in this. And when I say everyone, I mean everyone. I mean, for you parents, if you're a parent, one of the greatest things that you could do for your kid right now, if they get an allowance, is teach them to give and help them practice this. Uh, If you're a student, whether you're in middle school, high school, college. I mean, maybe you do some babysitting. Uh, Maybe you clean toilets in your dorm. I mean, this is for you too. I mean, I wish I would have started giving at at a much younger age. And you can do that if that's where you are right now. Uh, Maybe you're just getting started in, in your marriage or you're just out of college with your first job or looking for a job. And you'd say, you know what, I don't have any money right now. And maybe you're right. Maybe you don't have any money. But if you've got something, I mean, what does it look like for you in your life to just say, okay, I'm going to give first with what I have and then live off of the rest. Now, I know that for some of you, you're probably quick like, who in the world really are you to tell me how to handle my money? Well, if you call Genesis your church, I believe that God, for at least right now, has given me the responsibility to be your pastor. And one of the responsibilities that I have to accept and assume is to provide spiritual direction for you and for our church. In fact, I'll go as far as to say, I think one of the greatest obstacles that stands in front of so many Christians in their faith and in their trust in God today has everything to do with this money issue. It's like we'll work really hard to give God every part of our lives that when we come back to the money thing over and over again, we just feel like, you know, I've got a better plan here. I mean, this works better than the plan that God has laid out for me. And so you're trapped by money instead of really seeking to live the life that is truly life. Again, it's not what he wants from you, but it's what he wants for you. And for those of you that are ready and willing and thinking about what it would look like to follow God's plan, and you're ready to take up the step on the ladder, um, I just want to encourage you to take some time to think about what that gift looks like for you. Um, Because I would say this, that um, it has to be significant enough to require some faith but you get to choose. And so I want to challenge you. Would that be something you'd be willing to take to God and say, okay, God, I'm laying this out before you. I really want to make it a practice of giving first. How would you direct me to give? I believe that if you go to God with that prayer, if you open up your heart to him, he'll direct you in where to go from here. And so the first challenge is to give first, to decide on an amount and give first. The second thing is I'd like to challenge you to give first consistently to make it a consistent pattern. I mean, if we really want to grow in this area of our spiritual life and break the hold that money often takes on us, we have to come up with a plan for some consistent growth. And generosity, when you think about it, is like so many other things in life. If we want to get good at it, it's going to take some practice. I mean, think about it. It's January. There's a really good chance that you came up with some New Year's resolutions, some things that you want to do differently in this year. And if one of them was, I want to get in shape you know that you can't just go to the gym once and decide, okay, I'm in shape, right? Doesn't work like that. Or or you can't decide, you know, I'm going to eat healthy this year and eat one healthy meal and like, check that off the list. You know, I got eating healthy covered in in 2013. Now, in the same way, if we want to grow in this area of generosity, if we want to honor God with our finances too, you can't just give once and call it done. We have to practice consistently giving back to God. And look at verse 18 again real quick. Notice how it says, be generous and not do generous. I mean, if we want to be generous, we have to give consistently. So I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to decide now to give something first in your month and give it consistently. And just real practically, I mean, you can do this every time you get a paycheck. Um, You can make it the first check you write. Make a gift back to God. Or if you choose uh, to give at a place like Genesis Church, uh, we've provided for you one service that we provide is online giving. You can find it through our website. Uh, we even have some cards for you that we keep in the seat backs. So it'll show you how to do that. Uh, maybe for accountability's sake, for discipline, that's what you need. It's just there as a service for you. It's something uh, that my family and I, that we're using. But give first. Give first consistently. And the last thing is this. I wanna challenge you to give in a measurable way. Uh, To give in a measurable way, because I think this is really important. I mean, give in a way that you can measure, that you really can account for. Now, think about this. I mean, we're talking about an area of our spiritual life that hopefully we want to grow in. Well, how do you know if you're growing if you never really take the time to measure? I mean, there's a saying in the business world that goes, if I'm not measuring, well, how do I really know if I'm improving? So I want to encourage you to give in a measurable way. And again, for you, this may mean giving online, or if you write a check to Genesis Church, I'd put our accounting practices up to anyone. I'm so grateful for how well we do in this area. But if you give with a check or if you give online, we'll keep record of it. And two times a year, we'll send you a statement so that you can see or whenever you call and ask for something like that. But one of the things that we've also provided that's new for you that's in our seats is we've provided these envelopes because we realize that for some of you, you're cash people. And so if that's what works for you, these will always be in the seats and you can put your gift in there. And if you would share your information with us, again, that's just one way uh, that we can keep uh, an account for that. Uh, so again, you can see how you're doing. Now, I know that when we talk about giving in a measurable way, some people, some skeptics would say, well, you know, I mean, we're supposed to kind of keep that to ourselves. I mean, why, why should we give in a measurable way? Well, I see that. And I know that Jesus, he didn't say give to impress others or so that everyone sees it. It's kind of interesting when you think about it, that when you look at the first church in the book of Acts, one of the ways that they often practice their giving is people would come and they would lay their gifts at the feet of the church leaders. And we're not going to do that. I promise you that. I mean, the last thing you need is to be close to my feet and to smell these dogs, you know, that are often barking. I mean, we're going to stay away from that altogether. but, But seriously, I mean, why give in a measurable way? because I believe that giving in a measurable way provides ways for you to look back to see how you're doing. It provides ways for us to see how we're growing in this area as a church. And honestly, personally, I like it when my year-end statement comes from this church and from other places that my wife and I support, because one, I can give that statement to my accountant and it's tax deductible. And so that always good. But two, and far more importantly, I like to see our total giving and our percentage of income that we've given away because we can see how we're growing in generosity. And so this first challenge in this series today, I I want it to be absolutely clear that if you don't give or give occasionally, I want to challenge you to become an initial giver at Genesis Church, to take a step, to take the first step up on the ladder, And begin this process of moving towards a life of generosity, God's way for you. And I promise you, it really is a life that is free from the hold that money can have on your life. And it's a big step moving in the direction towards the life that is truly life. You know, one of the challenges that I feel like I'm always up against uh, whenever we talk about something like this, especially as a pastor, is number one, well, I know it's sensitive But number two, I'm supposed to do this. Like I'm the pastor. I I have to talk about generosity and giving and resources. But if you would allow me for just a second, would you let me just be Paul Mumaw? Would you just let me be somebody that lives in Noblesville? And I, I call this church my church as well. You know, about 13 years ago, Um, my wife and I, we we had our plan. We were giving very inconsistently and I was hired on staff at a church in Michigan and we knew at that point, okay, like we really got to jump into this now because if we're going to ask other people to do this, we have to be willing to say we're doing it too. And so we did and and we started tithing and we'll talk about that next week. I mean, we started giving 10% of our income, but I'll be real honest and say that it was hard for a while because we weren't giving first. I mean, we'd pay all of the other bills first and then you'd look and you'd see what's left over and then the stress and the emotion that would come with that and we'd give that gift somewhat reluctantly. But thankfully, God's good. And over time and over the years, he's really worked on our heart and changed our heart. And as I'll share in some of the coming weeks, he's really now grown us in this area of giving and generosity. It's about the work that he's doing in us. I just tell you all of it to say this. I've lived my plan and I've lived God's plan, and I would never go back to my plan ever again. Because there is a way that is laid out for us, and this is a path, it is a ladder to a life that is truly life. And I have to tell you today, it is a life worth living. My God has provided and blessed me with all of my needs. Um, my my wife chooses to stay home Uh, we're working on paying off our house I have a computer in my pocket Uh, right now I mean you know he's given us everything that we need and so much more And, and there's this other really cool thing too and I know that many of you share in this with me because we give and we give humbly to a church like Genesis Church and we see all of the work that God is doing we, like many of you, get the joy in a special way of sharing in some of the awesome things that God is doing through this church. Hey, I'm just concerned that there's a whole generation of people coming up behind us that don't know how to do this. And no one ever taught me how to do it. I had to discover it for myself. And what I hope to be able to do for you is just a servant, as somebody who loves you and loves this church, is to provide for you some practical teaching about how you can get started into it as well and really enjoy the life that God has marked out for us, a life that is truly life. I want you to see one last verse before I pray because God doesn't want any of us to give out of guilt or reluctance. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says it like this, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. And again, we're reminded that He's after our heart. He doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us. And I like the way that one person said at one time, you know what, you may think you can, but you'll never outgive God. Because the greatest gift that He's ever given this world, the greatest gift that He's ever offered to you is His Son, Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you today that if God's working in your life in any sort of a way and you're looking at, hey, what would it mean for me to take these steps? I need you to remind you that the most important step towards moving into that life that is truly life is inviting Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And you can do that. You can do that in your seat today in your own time and space. We've got people up front afterwards. We'd love to talk to you about that. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your words and for your truth and even when they're not the easiest to understand, when our heart gets in the way and when our mind gets in the way, God, I believe as you've done a work in me that you can do a work in all of us to change us, to help us to see the light, to see the path that you have marked out for us. And so God, right now, I know that you know every story, you know every situation, you know every question, concern, frustration, every bit of emotion, Lord. I pray that you would move in our hearts today, helping us take the next step or the first step on a ladder like this. God, I also know and trust and believe that Um, you're aware of every hurting situation right now in this room uh, emotionally in relationships and especially in finances too and god would you um, bring great faith and encouragement and hope uh, to whoever's hurting here today but god increase our desire to trust you and to live for you in all things show us next steps and for those that are sitting here today that are right on the edge of stepping out in faith to take that first step up the ladder, Lord, would you give them the faith and the courage to do just that? We thank you for the gift of Jesus, the greatest world uh, gift we've ever been given. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the reasons that we uh, decided to do our offering at the end was... Um, We've got this crazy little thing that we do around here at times that maybe you've experienced and that is that people clap when we take an offering. And uh, I I think it's so important to be reminded of that verse in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. The Bible says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And as we're reminded that we can never outgive God, the greatest gift he's given us is in Jesus Christ, that we have the freedom and the blessings of being able to come into a room like this and to worship him today and to invite him to do this work in our lives and our hearts we got a great God, don't we? And so I'm going to invite our host team to come forward right now to take our offering, and we celebrate that as a church here at Genesis. And let's sing together.